Welcome to Lunch Pell Sermons. My messages begin with the assumption that the Bible's teaching is simple. Love God, do good. With that simple message, the Spirit delivers divine haymakers that nudge us toward becoming better followers of Jesus. I hope this sermon helps you in living God's adventure for your life. Thank you. So, um, continue from last week. We are in the book of Proverbs. This morning, uh, we will look at the Proverbs in 14, 20, and 21, and other related Proverbs from the first collection of Proverbs of Solomon. First, let me give you some background on the Proverb of Solomon. The first collection runs from chapter 10 through 22, 16, and the second collection, which is known as Hezekiah Collection, because they were compiled under King Hezekiah, probably by his royal scribes, runs from chapter 25 through 29. King Hezekiah reigned in Judah, the southern kingdom, from 728 through 699 BC. And that is a time period of the compilation of the second collection. And the first collection was compiled sometime in the 8th or 7th century BC, still more than a century after Solomon's reign which was from 970 to 931 BC. The compilation of the first collection was most likely occasioned by the fall of the northern kingdom of Israel to the hands of the Assyrians in 722 BC. The fall of the northern kingdom must have shocked the southern kingdom into recording and preserving the wisdom sayings of King Solomon who was the last king reigned in peace in the United Monarchy. Now in the first collection, there are 375 proverbs. Interestingly, 375 is the numeric value of the Hebrew letters of the name Solomon. In many ancient cultures, before the invention of numeric numbers, uh, known as the Arabic numbers that we use today, Letters of the alphabet were used for numeric values. For example, first letter represents numeric value 1, and the second letter, number 2, I mean, a numeric value 2, and so, and so forth. And the 11th letter represents 20, and the 19th letter represents 100. So, if you add the numeric values of the four Hebrew letters of the name Solomon, then you get 375. Some Bible scholars think that it's not coincidence that the number of Proverbs compiled in the first collection of Proverbs of Solomon is also 375. I'm not here I'm making a case for numerology, which is the study of the supernatural or mystical significance of numbers. But the point I'm making, and also the point of those scholars I'm making, is that these proverbs are not put together haphazardly or randomly. Though it may seem that um, there is a lack of structure um, in the arrangement of these proverbs in the collection, but there is certain coherence. In fact, many proverbs are grouped into smaller collections or units from couplets to larger groupings according to the themes, keywords, literary structures, and various forms of plays on words. 
And though there is no consensus among the scholars, many agree that these small units provide context for the individual proverbs, qualifying or giving more precise meaning to a given word. In other words, those each, uh, each proverb can stand alone and have its own meaning. It could also have a more specific meaning in the context of a small collections or units of other proverbs. Another thing that I want to uh, bring your attention to this morning before we get into the individual proverbs is the nature of wisdom in the Bible. Biblical wisdom is more than practical advices for the how to live uh, in the world. It is surely practical, but at the same time, it is ethical and also theological. That is, not only it guides a person to navigate for life, but it is also, it also encourages right behavior and most fundamentally, um, a right relationship with God. And the right relationship with God begins with a proper sense of fear and awe of God. Pastor Taran also pointed out last Sunday that one cannot have a true wisdom without this fear of God, because the ultimate wisdom comes from God. And the theological understanding of wisdom means that even those uh, the proverbs that do not mention God are still connected to God, as they are expressions of wisdom of God for the people of God. Indeed, the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs make it clear that wisdom um, contained in the Proverbs is neither secular nor universal, but rather theological and particular to the people of God. And that means it is intended for the people of God to follow and keep. Now let us look at the Proverbs for this morning, the pair in 14, 20, and 21, and other related Proverbs. And see how these principles are played out in these proverbs, which was and also looking at content of the proverbs to discern what God is teaching us through the wisdom contained in these proverbs. So let me read the two proverbs in 14, 20, and 21. Verse 20. The poor are disliked even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. Verse 21. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner. But blessed is the one who is kind to the poor. The first proverb, the poor are disliked by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends, is an observation on human nature. I don't think we need any further explanation. Most people would rather be in the company of wealthy persons than of poor persons. The poor typically have needs that require attention, but the rich have resources that are often provide, proved to be beneficial to those who are on them. Thus, the poor are avoided and disliked, but the rich are followed by many, even without the Facebook. The word dislike here um, in the phrase, the poor are disliked, means in the original language, to hate. That means people's dislike of the poor does not refer to their preference, but rather a strong feeling of dislike such as repulsion or hate. And this observation of a human attitude is rephrased and repeated in the proverb 19.4 that says, wealth makes many friends, but the poor man is deserted by his friends. So it seems that everyone wants to be friends of the rich, but no one wants to associate with the poor. 
it should be nice to be friends with, for example, Jeff Bezos or Mackenzie Bezos. But these quote-unquote friends of the rich gained through their wealth are probably inauthentic friends and not the kind of friends who you can trust in the times of need. Such quote-unquote friends will quickly become deserters once your money runs dry. Another wisdom literature in the uh, Bible, the book of Job, um, illustrates this point very well. In Job 29, he says, when he was wealthy, and quote, men listened to me and waited for me as for the rain, and I lived like a king among his troops. But when all his wealth, health, and prosperity were taken away, says Job in chapter 30, they abhor me and keep aloof from me. They do not hesitate to spit at the sight of me, and they promote my calamity. Yet another wisdom literature in the book of Wisdom of Ben Saira, which was written about 180 BC and is included in the Roman Catholic, also Greek and Slavonic Bibles, similar sentiments are found. It says, when a rich man totters, he is supported by a friend. But when a poor man totters, he is thrust from evil to evil. When a rich man speaks, his helpers are many, and his ugly words are beautified. When a rich man speaks, all give heed, and his intelligence is extorted to the clouds. A poor man speaks, and they say, who's this? And if he stumbles, they give him a shove. So people hate and avoid the poor, while love and gather around the rich. But the proverb in 1420 in itself neither condemns nor condones such human attitude and behavior. Therefore, if you want to pick this proverb out and um, read it by itself, he or she may come to a wrong conclusion and think that it is what it is and that's just the way things are in the world. But when it's read together with the following proverb in 1421, then one can see that such an attitude and behavior are indeed judged and condemned as sin. So let me read the, uh, the proverb in 1421 again. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is the one who is kind to the poor. The word translated in English as the poor here can also be translated as the needy or the helpless. And the word neighbor in the phrase whoever despises his neighbor does not refer to others in general, but refers in particular to the poor because it is only the poor that people dislike and or even hate and not the rich. That is, this proverb is not about treating others in general, but about treating the poor in particular. And the verdict in 1421 is clear. Even the, uh, the, the tendency or the attitude in, um, of dislike or despise, not to mention its outer expression of um, act of contempt or hate of the poor, the needy, or the helpless is sin. On the other hand, showing kindness to the poor is a good and righteous act, and you will be blessed. In the Proverb in 28, 27, such an act of kindness to the poor that entails a blessing is a contrast with an act that entails curses. It says, those who give it to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them will receive many curses. That is, 
not only despising the poor, but also ignoring them or otherwise having a callous attitude toward them is sin. Therefore, such a person will receive many curses from God. It has been the case throughout the history of the people of God that when people obey and keep God's words, they receive blessings from God. But if they disobey the words of God, then they receive curses from God. And these proverbs clearly indicate what is right behavior and what is wrong behavior toward the poor. And these are not mere suggestions, but instructions for the people of God to obey and keep because a righteous deed will incur blessings from God, but a sinful deed will incur curses from God. But you may ask, what is the basis of this ethics beyond the simple mechanism of reward and punishment? In other words, why does God bless those who are kind to the poor and curse those who despise or ignore the poor? We know from the scriptures that God does not delight in our mere outwardly show of obedience, but he weighs our heart. That is, it is our heart attitude or our motivation in any act that directly affects our relationship with God. And we want to have a right relationship with God and set our heart right before God and not just do or not do any certain acts out of compulsion that is either out of fear of punishment or just to get reward. The proverb in 21.2 says, All these are right in the sight of the doer, but the Lord weighs the heart. Then, what is the right heart attitude in being kind to the poor? The proverb in 14.31 gives us the answer. It says, Whoever oppresses the poor inserts their maker. But whoever honors God is kind to the poor. That is, the right heart attitude in being kind to the poor is a heart that honors God. One honors God when one is kind to the poor, but one inserts God when one oppresses the poor. This is rephrased and repeated in the proverb in 17.5. Whoever mocks the poor inserts their maker. Whoever takes joy in others' disaster will not go unpunished. The proverb in 22 verse 2 gives a reason why mocking and oppressing the poor is inserting its maker. It says, rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. That is, the rich and the poor are both God's creation. One creation of God cannot mock another creation of God because it would be mocking the creator for thus making his creation. Also, created as humans in the image of God, they both have the same inherent dignity. And that's why the rich man cannot or should not oppress or mock the poor man. Another reason why this is so is because both poverty and wealth are from God. It's written in 1 Samuel 2 uh, verses 7 and 8. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exhorts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He sits them with the princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. And again, it's written in Deuteronomy 8, verses 17 and 18. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. 
Therefore, we should be careful not to regard the poor as somehow cursed by God or that poverty is a mark of a divine displeasure. Based on the wrong conclusion in the Proverbs, some Proverbs that teach us that God blesses the rich with, uh, God blesses the wise with riches. It would indeed be grossly arrogant for anyone to insult or mistreat the poor, for such a person presumes knowledge that is not available to human beings. We simply do not know the reasons why God made rich rich and the poor poor. If one arrogantly presumes that the poor man brought the poverty on himself by his own folly, this in turn implies that one's own good fortune is his or her own doing. These proverbs therefore teach us that one's treatment of the poor is an index of one's treatment of God. As Jesus also teaches, Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46, to feed and clothe the needy is, in effect, to do so for the divine king, and not to do so is to offend him. Furthermore, the proverb in 1917 tells us that one who is kind to the poor is in fact making a loan to the Lord. It says, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and a reward will be given for it. This surely encourages the people of God to give aid to the poor, because what is given to the poor is really a loan to the Lord. The implication is that God will repay the loan. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And you're sure to get the return. And not only that, the proverb in 2827 that I mentioned earlier guarantees that you won't suffer any lack from your generous giving to the poor. It says, those who give it to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. So all these proverbs teach us not to despise or in any way mistreat the poor, but instead be kind to the poor. Not only because to despise and mistreat the poor is sin that incurs curses upon us, and to be kind to the poor is a morally good and righteous act that incurs blessings, but it is because to, ins uh, to treat, insert the poor is insulting God, and to be kind to the poor is honoring God. And we sincerely desire to honor God and be in a right relationship with God. And this is also founded on the fear and awe of God, because without the fear and awe of God, one cannot honor God. But now, how are these Proverbs a guidance for how to live in the world? There are some Proverbs that offer wisdom that can offer a practical advice for anyone, even um, the non-believers, for how to live in this world. For example, Proverbs in 15:18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Or that in 14:15, the simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. But the proverbs that we looked into this morning, those tell us to be kind to the poor, would probably not be considered by the world standard as a practical life advice for anyone. On the contrary, a practical advice, according to the secular world standard, will be make friends with the rich, but keep distance from the poor. However, for the people of God, the wisdom shown in all Proverbs show us how to live in this world as God's people. 
In this sense, biblical uh, wisdom is particular to God's people. More importantly, the wisdom from the Proverbs should not be considered as mere advices, but instead as instructions or directives that need to be obeyed. Let me explain this with the Proverbs in 14, 20, and 21 again. Verse 20, the poor are disliked even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. Verse 21, whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is the one who is kind to the poor. As I mentioned earlier, um, the first proverb is an observation on the human attitude. And the second one in the first half is a verdict on such attitude, namely to despise the poor is a sin. And in the second half is a directive on how one should behave, namely, be kind to the poor. Um, though Proverbs are not written in the form of imperatives, these are not mere suggestions, but the expression of God's will for how his people should live, just as the law of the Old Testament expresses God's will for how his people who love him should live. In fact, the part of the proverb at verse 21 Blessed is the one who is kind to the poor. So like the beatitude in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. All Jesus' teachings, including the beatitude, are considered by Jesus himself as his commands for his disciples to obey. For he says, beginning from uh, in Matthew 28:19, go and make disciples of our nations. And then he says in verse 20, and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And that refers to every teaching of Jesus. Thus, it follows that though these proverbs are not in not explicit commands, but they imply and indicate certain behaviors and attitudes, followed by stipulations, that is, blessings and cursings for certain acts. Thus, wisdom from these proverbs is considered to be like law by many scholars, and that implies we are to obey them. Now, in order to obey, we need to know what it means to be kind to the poor. If you look at the original word, the verb is used, uh, usually reserved for God as a subject, and it carries the meaning, show grace or be gracious. An example is a cry of a distressed person to God, be gracious to me, O Lord, which is found in numerous Psalms, as the one um, I read this morning. However, probably because only God can show true grace and be truly gracious, the verb is seldom used for man as a subject. It only appears nine times in the entire Old Testament, six times in Proverbs, three other times outside of Proverbs. And when it is used for man um, as a subject, it carries the meaning to be generous or to have a compassion, and it is always directed to the poor, the needy, or the helpless. In fact, the word translated in English as kind in the Bible is a, transla a translation of other Hebrew word if it is not used in the context of being kind to the poor. In short, to be kind to the poor does not mean simply being gentle and loving and sympathetic toward the poor, which is the usual English meaning or definition of the word kind. But the word be kind in this proverb, even though it, um, it doesn't necessarily exclude them, it specifically means being generous to the poor out of compassion, just as God is gracious to us. 
And it usually refers to material aid, that is, to feed, to clothe, to shelter, and to care for them as Jesus commanded in Matthew 25. And our model is God our Father, who is gracious to us helpless sinners who do not deserve His grace. Let me read those Proverbs again that tell us to be kind to the poor. 1421. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is the one who is kind to the poor. 1431. Whoever oppresses the poor inserts their maker, but whoever honors God is kind to the poor. 1917. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and a reward will be given for it. Thus we are to be kind to the poor, just as God is gracious to us. And that is how the people of God should live, because that is the will of God. In closing, let me remind you again that fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And the fear of God, that is the proper sense of the fear and awe of God, leads to obedience to Him. The wisdom expressed in the Proverbs is the will of God for how the people of God should live in the world as God's people. The wisdom instructs us in the way we should walk so that we may have a right relationship with God and live as His people. By being kind and generous to the poor, the needy, or the helpless, whom God also created in His image, we not only receive blessings from God, but we bring honor to God. Now for the Christians in the New Testament times, we know that Jesus is the very wisdom of God, as written in 1 Corinthians 1.24. Thus, we obey the wisdom of God, revealed through the entire scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament, with the fear and awe of the Lord. And it is such fear of the Lord that leads to obedience of faith, which leads to salvation. Amen. Thanks for listening to Lunchpell Sermons. Now it's time to put these words into action and go live our adventure. Let's love God and do good.